Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Market. I'm joined around the table by Andy Steiger. Good to be with you, Daniel. Of The Human Project. And I'm even wearing the t-shirt. And Jeff Bucknam. Hi, I don't have a Human Project t-shirt. Jeff Bucknam, sponsored by Jif Peanut Butter. I brought, I got some Jif Peanut Butter here today, yes. That's, that you've been, is I saw true. you holding, you were holding those in the kitchen, and now you've brought them down here. Is there any length you wouldn't go to to have Jif Peanut Butter, Jeff? You know, as peanut butters go, I would say that Jif is probably the best. Okay, so you heard it here first on the I podcast. Res- I can it's respect sugar, that. You have to, but uh, some people like the non-sugared peanut butter, though. And so if you like the non-sugared peanut butter, you'll think that what I just said it was horrible. But I'm Organic. telling you that after living in several countries, experiencing many different peanut butters, oh. um, the, the GIF is probably up there. Oh, Jeff, Used to be a skippy man. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have I have converted. But what you're saying is now that you're you're cultured, now that you've seen the world, and and, and, I you, prefer and you can the term, tell everyone that you've lived in New Zealand. I prefer the term woke. Now that I'm woke, it's uh, Jeff for me. You know, it just sounds terrible even, when you say that. It just know. sounds so bad when you say that. <laughs> Andy, the uh, the Apologetics Canada conference happened this last weekend. It did. I'm I'm in the process of gaining some of my sanity back. Well, Andy, maybe to help you with yeah. your sanity, I got here for you a red, not fortune cookie, but prophecy cookie. Why don't you open that up? Would you like me to are open that? Are they actually they're, prophecy they cookies? Are, uh, I think so. My, mine's broken. Oh, what right. does that mean? I don't know, Jeff. You should interpret that, yeah. maybe. Shouldn't be good. Wouldn't be good. Okay, I'm kind of concerned by a red fortune cookie to be honest with you Ew. are they fortune or are they called prophecy cookies they are do people actually make prophecy cookies i have no idea is that a thing what does it say andy it says that i won two dollars off any box at yeah at woke box at crackacookie.com oh so you got these from walk box or woke box what does yours say jeff it mine says sharing walk box equals good karma that's great that's, that's great, great that you brought that onto the uh, onto the christian podcast from the church that you work at that's excellent yeah so mine doesn't have a fortune other Wait. than i get two dollars off because i'm awesome that's better man that's even better so than jeff's that's no. like a roll up the rim no, thing. yours says improve chopstick skills get more walk box or as jeff likes to say Woke box. Daniel had uh, uh, Daniel had all week to prepare the opening to this podcast, and that's, ladies and gentlemen, is what he came up with. So I'm disappointed. You know, in Jeff, my future. It's, it's great to have you back. It it's really, great to it's, be back. I've been here for a little while. I know why. Why do you always leave us? Uh, hmm? It's not because I always leave you. It's uh, that I have been. You're too good for the podcast. You're I'm too good a, for the radio. I'm a pretty important guy. So I've got <laughs> really? uh, I got things to do. He's got a sermon coming up on humility. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. he's got. Take me for an example. <laughs> yeah, right. The sermon's going to be woke. Andy, back to the. Uh, speaking of woke, yeah, let's your go conference, back there. buddy. Yeah, look at that conference. Tell us about it. Uh, it was uh, it was fantastic. We had uh, over fourteen hundred people in attendance. Uh, Come on, yeah, which was which was just awesome. Um, for some people who don't know, it's more than just a conference. Uh, starting that week, we uh, on Wednesday we were at Westside with uh, around 800 people out for a dialogue with Westside. What is Westside? Westside Church in Vancouver, mm. and th- it was a fantastic dialogue that we had with Ian Bushfield, who is the head of the BC Humanists Association, and Andy Bannister. 
and talking on the foundation of human rights. And then we did the same thing on the Friday night out at the conference with uh, Justin Trottier. And again, a fantastic dialogue. Uh, you know, I'll say this. Well, actually, I'll get to that in a moment. One of the things that we also did during that week is on the Friday morning, we were at Abbotsford Christian School and we did a mini conference at their school. Uh, what does that mean? Where they actually just kind of turned their school into a conference for, for the afternoon and they used classrooms as breakout sessions and whatnot. And that was fantastic as well. We also did a pastor's lunch that took place on the Friday. So it's just it was just a busy week. And then after the conference, we were out at uh, we had one of our speakers out at the Village Church, and then we had one of our speakers out at Broadway. And so those events went fantastic as well. Great. And so yeah. uh, I heard from a lot of people that this was a great conference. Mm-hmm. I was there, and I thought it was great, although I didn't get to listen to a ton of the stuff because I was running around <laughs> bidding whatever you'd have me do, Andy. That, that's but what we do. One of the highlights or, that or, I heard— Or doing whatever he bid you. Yes. But you could bid, too. You could bid at whatever— Whatever. Basically, the, the speaker who stood out, I think, to a lot of people, one of the most enjoyable things yeah. was, uh, I think, the humanist discussion. And so could oh, you yeah, could you define question. for us, can we just talk a little bit about what humanism is? Because this is a topic I hear thrown around a lot, <coughs> and uh, I think it's important for our listeners and the world to know what humanism is. Yeah, let, let's start by first making it clear that there's a distinction with regards to humanism. A lot of people tend to uh, tend to associate humanism with secular humanism. And notice you need to preface that, right? Uh, because a lot of people would argue, and I would be one of those, is that Christianity is the original humanist association, if you will, that Christianity... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> If I will. If I, I will, Andy. Thank you, and I did. You're going to edit that one out. What? Did that come across pompous? or oh, that was good. Yeah. Okay. This idea, though, that Christianity lifts up humanity is a good thing, like that, that humans are important. So we actually, are... can can I make a comment about that? Hey, yeah. Jeff, you should make a comment right I am, now. No, I'm just going to interject. That's actually, if you, no matter what the debates are about Genesis 1 and 2, or let's just say Genesis 1. There's lots of debates about how old the earth is and how, you know, like what order, like all this stuff, all this stuff. What is, is a day 24 hours or not? Mm. The the main thrust in Genesis 1 is that, it, is, is that God is a great creator who made the world and his, his final act of creation prior to resting was making people who, sh- who have of a distinctive that nothing else has. And I would argue that everything in creation was leading up Absolutely. to that point. That it, it's, it's the it's final a pinnacle. Yeah, it's the final moment, which of mm. course in the ancient world was not the way they looked at it. Yep. They thought people were the servants of the gods. And so the idea that you would write a, a creation narrative that talks about people being God's like final climaxing act and, yep. and he places his image in them in a way that nothing else reflects him. Is is actually it's earth shattering, uh, and it's unique in in all of religious history. So yes, and if, this is the the height of humanism, right? Is that God made you in His image, and so if you think about that, that means that the greater your view of God, the greater your view of humanity. And Christianity is an incredibly humanizing faith in that Christianity has a high view of God. So if we have a high view of God. We have a high view of humanity, mm-hmm. and th- this is significant. 
in terms of their inherent worth. And one of the challenges, of course, in, in modern theology is that people sometimes emphasize the, the, the idea that people are made in the image of God and, and they don't understand that they are also fallen. But so both of those are true in the modern yes. world. But so, so what you, what you find in people's yes, made in the image of God, that doesn't mean, and they therefore have inherent worth, but it does, that doesn't mean that uh, they, they shouldn't change at all because unfortunately they're also fallen image bearers yep. of Christ. And so our fallen image bearers of God. And so as a result, we as Christians, we say you have inherent dignity and worth should always be treated with respect and the kind of dignity that is due somebody made in the image of God. And yet yep. at the same time, we call you to repent so that you can actually be a complete human in the sense that what you were made to be, right? Absolutely. And I I would just put a a caveat on that too, or maybe uh, uh, just tease that out a little bit, because when I hear Christians talk about this sometimes, and I'll throw myself in this as well, we we tend to use language that isn't quite accurate. Uh, and, And I've been guilty of this where I'll say, oh, you know, the image of God is broken in humanity. And we have to got to be careful with that because no, the image of God isn't broken in you. You are fully made in the image of God. You're broken. Yes. God's not broken. You're broken. Yeah. And and we are marring that image. And like what you're saying, Jeff, where we're not fully reflecting that. Mm-hmm. And so through Jesus, we are fully human in him in that we're able to live out the purpose we were created for through Christ. But secular, secular humanism. Yeah, I was just going to lead into that now. So secular humanism then is a humanism devoid of the God component of that human value. And so you see, uh, one of the things that I appreciate about humanists or secular humanists is this desire to value human beings. The, the so there's this there's this idea to lift up humanity, and in many sense, uh, that idea is that you take God out of the equation because in many sense, in many ways, we become the God in that worldview, that humanity is the pinnacle in, in a sense. Uh, the question, though, becomes where, where or why does humanity have this, this value that, as for example, on the Friday night, Justin Trottier would be quite happy with saying that humanity has inherent dignity or value, as we find in the Declaration of Human Rights, uh, the the big question underlining that though is you know why is that the case and what's his answer to that what is the answer forget about I mean I'm not saying forget about Justin Trotty I'm 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 asking in general Andy because uh, you've done the human project and you're interacting mm-hmm. with the, these ideas a lot can you can you tell us what what is the common response of a secular humanist to that question like what why, where from where do you get the the belief or the grounding the authority to say that people are made, or sorry, people have inherent worth? In my conversations with secular humanists, I find that two answers, uh, I find I, I hear two answers the most. One answer that I hear a lot as of recent, it would be simply to say that it's just the case. It, it's, it's just the case that humans have... Properly in, basic. Yeah, it's a properly basic. It's just, <clears throat> that, you know, it, it just is, Jeff. You we know? just all naturally believe it. Yeah, well, that, yeah, well, that more than that, just that you have inherent value that is objective because it just is, and and what you find is, and this is kind of the overarching theme of all of them, there really isn't any explanation given as to why that is the case. It's just posited. Before you give this second one, can I ask? Mm-hmm. Um, just just in the spirit of dialogue, though, and of course you're not uh, a secular humanist here, but in the spirit of dialogue with secular humanism. The question I have is, is it 
is it properly basic? Because I'm just thinking cultures around the world where actually human beings are not treated, depending on who you are. I'm thinking about Indian caste system, for example, mm-hmm. that there are some people who are treated worse than a, a bull or a cow. So, so the, and slavery has has been with humanity from the very beginning, right? Right, and so. so so we see examples of people getting it wrong, and that's why people love to use Nazi Germany because Nazi it's Germany the test passed. case almost of everything. If, it if is. your world you can't can't address some of that because <laughs> they passed laws that that made it legal to kill Jews, and so that's why they tend to be an example. Is look, it was legal to do this, yet yet these Nazis were held accountable for following German law, yeah. and, and so then it was posited. And that was the terminology actually used in the Nuremberg trials, that there's a law above the law, what's called a suprapositive. So the humanist would say, though, or the secular humanist, that that higher law, mm-hmm. it just is. It just is. It just is. Now, so. here's where uh, I was actually talking to Justin Trottier behind, you know, in the green room about this. And behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, if you will. And, and there's a conversation that even came out during the Q&A is you have to start to tease out the worldview to see the inconsistency in the worldview. So I'm thankful that they see human as having dignity. The problem is it's inconsistent with their worldview. It's just how do you get there? Yeah, exactly. In particular, because secular humanism is based on a purely naturalistic, materialistic, physical worldview of just particles in Mm. motion. And so you have to ask and, yourself, and, and evolutionary biology, which is the accepted yes. thing. Which, which, of and course, by the way, that's the second answer. Which, which of course, is a pro- is a problem because ultimately, what what you're saying is that is that there are species and even people who are more evolved than others. So this is this is what happened. Which is eugenics. When you, well, when you end up having social Darwinism back in the years, that was essentially the argument. Of social Darwinism was. That look, there are some cultures that have more evolved than other cultures, and the more evolved cultures take precedent, yep. right? Even in a moral sense, that, that was over Aristotle's. Others. That was Aristotle's argument for slavery. He 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 argued that there are some people that need to have a master that properly directs them because they can't direct themselves. Right, and this is my point. I think with the Indian caste system, which reflects some of that thinking too, yep. which is that if you're an untouchable, because of your background and because of the your even their religion. Uh, that your your car, you know, we don't want to rob you of the karma mm. that is coming to you because you were a jerk That's in a previous right. life, previous life, or something to that effect. And so we don't believe that people are necessarily uh, inherently worthy. And that's a good point, uh, Jeff, as well, when you look at the way that females have been viewed throughout history and children uh, that have been viewed throughout history. They're chattel. Yeah. And Christianity was very unique in this way. And the, you know, Genesis one twenty seven makes it very clear that both men and women have been made in the image of God. That is an equality that does not come in degrees, nor can it be taken away, which is important because in the human, in the declaration for human rights, two things are, well, three things are positive. One is that humanity has inherent dignity. That means dignity that no one bestowed upon you. You were born with it. That's what it means to have inherent dignity. Mm. You came into the world with this. The, the second one is equality. And the third is inalienable rights, which means rights that can't be taken away from you. Mm. So again, you have to ask the question, you know, why is why is that the case? So by the by the way, to to just give out that second answer yeah, I that I hear, say, I hear is it. is that naturalistic Darwinian 
view that humanity has evolved. And as we've evolved, we've evolved a view of human value. Mm -hmm. And so that now we can see that, that we have human value clearer than we could say a thousand years ago. And as we move forward, we're going to see it even more clearly. So in that case, the, what is moral is whatever the most modern viewpoint mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the case? That's correct. So when Jimmy Kimmel goes so, on stage at the Oscars and keeps saying humanity should be striving towards this and this and this, that is the highest moral well, at the Oscars? Well, in some ways he's saying that we're not as moral now as that we're going to become. Right. Okay. Well, we'll be, we'll be considered moral monsters by, by future generations. This is one of the, ultimately the, one of the questions that I have is, mm -hmm. um, what are, what do you say about those though, who are the minorities uh, who are arguing against the prevailing morality of the day? So, so Martin Luther King. I know, right? So, is he is he a good guy or a bad guy now? Because because if you believe that the that the present morality is the highest morality, then I'm wondering. Well, those who fight against the present morality are are doing what? Well, like, and that that's the ironic you know claim of condemning slavery. Well, in the past, slavery would be totally fine. Then. Right. So, in those cultures where it was totally fine, and that was the highest moral good of the day, you're saying now that it's not, and they were wrong, but in their day they were right. Well, and now what happens is, and I hope... So does morality are... shift like that, Andy? So my question, though, is in the mind of a secular humanist, is that the belief that morality just shifts with whatever well, the most recent... It would evolve. Yes, and, and in fact, uh, Ian Bushfield, and during the West Side Dialogue, said, listen, he goes, listen, but at the very end he just said, listen, I'm a relativist. Uh, I... I, I think but it's not like, really. Yeah, but that's the irony. But Uganda, not really. Because Uganda doesn't have the right in their country to say what they want to say about homosexual homosexuality. It is their, interesting their how we impose this Western. Or if North Carolina years ago wanted to pass a pass a law about the use of bathrooms and transgender people, then all all of us pull our you know like the NBA and others don't want to have their businesses there or. Anything they're decried on social media as being bigoted, and, well, and then what happens is, is and I hope listeners are catching this, you're you're disintegrating the foundation from which inherent dignity can rest, and and what happens is, is dignity now becomes relative. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, equality becomes relative. So, Inalienable rights become relative. So these were, in, from the Christian's perspective, they dignity inalienable in in in. Inalienable. Again, you had like a week to prepare. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that, that's what you got. Inalienable. Those are closely tied to God, well, we, we would say. Well, like absolutely. That, absolutely. So then, um, because you have to ask, where did that value come from? Uh, and how is it that I came into the world with it? I didn't evolve this dignity. Uh, I, I have this dignity. Yeah. Because then we have, there's that famous scene about Frederick Nietzsche yelling, God is dead. Yes. Right? Or does he write it in a book or he runs into the town square? Yeah. It, he wrote it in um, what's called, called the, the Gay Science. The Madman is what. Yeah. It's the Madman's the parable and it's in the book, The, the Gay Science. So uh, in that, he runs in there and a lot of people think, oh, Nietzsche's a villain because he's saying, oh, God is dead. But he's actually, isn't he screaming, no, if, we, if we've killed God, there's no limit to the like the dehumanization and, and the unhumanity that we're going to see throughout the entire world because well, now there's no moral compass. Well, he he first of all, it's important to note he wrote that to to atheists, not to Christians, because he felt it was his atheist comrades that didn't understand the implications of their own worldview. Yeah, yeah, and basically he was saying 
that in a world, he wasn't saying that they had killed God, but they basically was saying that in a world in which God was no longer a foundation, uh, you couldn't support things like meaning, purpose, or value. Right. Uh, and so he ultimately said, listen, the earth is untethered, right? Like we, we're, and if you read it, it's very poetic, right? We're just swirling around like we, we've lost ourselves. And ultimately then what he would say is, uh, and in the human project, I bring up the story of Leopold and Loeb uh, on this point, is that... If that's the case, it means then that if somebody could rise above, which he would call an ubermensch, somebody that's like a superhuman, a superman that could see that it's all meaningless, well, then they could just follow their pleasures and do as they like, and they're actually a superior. Adolf Hitler was that man. Yeah. No, listen, I'm not saying that he was a superman and and endorsing him. I'm saying that Nietzsche's theories, which were written around right before the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century— were were actually picked up by by the Nazis. Hitler, Hitler who yep. who saw who actually saw yeah that's right there's no judgment we do what we want we make movies by the way about this nowadays mm-hmm. uh, what's interesting is the movies that we make you know Groundhog Day is a good example of a film that's like that that it's it's just you know what happens if whatever you do today you're gonna wake up the next morning in the same bed that's it's kind of it's a kind of eternality um, so the question then becomes well. Well, what should you do with that time? Now, in the end, in that movie, the guy learns that, oh, you should give your life to philanthropy and doing really nice things. But there's another movie that's come out more recently. And by that, I mean like 10 years ago or eight years ago, No Country for Old Men. And No Country for Old Men is asking the same question. Uh, What happens if there's no God and there's a guy like this guy, Anton Chigurh, who goes around and just like shoots these these air bullets into the heads of people? Mm-hmm. What do we say about him? Well, and he does it at complete random. Right. They, they, the police officers in that show don't know what to do with him because he represents, what, pure evil. Well, and and he does it, and he has conversations with people. One of the scenes that is really striking is that he's flipping a coin in front of it. He goes, he just stops in a gas station, and he, he goes, fills his car up with gas. He goes inside ready to kill this rural gas station attendant. And he says, uh, I'm going to flip a coin, and if you get it wrong, I'm going to kill you, right? You live or die. And the guy's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just flip a coin. And his comment is, but that's how you got here, right? And that's Darwinian naturalism says, no, actually, the way that you got here was through chance mutation, right? You got here You got here by the flip of a coin, by chance. So, yes, of course I can do that. Why do you keep, what he keeps saying, why do people, people keep saying that? I can't do that. As if that there is such a thing as can or can't, or you should or shouldn't. To there pick- is none. And so the question that's being raised by the Cohen brothers there is, okay, what about this? Here's an Ubermensch. Here's, here's a guy who's doing this. What do we say about him now? Can we call what he does evil? But on what basis can we do so? That's a great, uh, that's a great point, Jeff. And I like the way you frame that, you know, given... Given this knowledge, what do you do? Well, Nietzsche would say, well, you follow your pleasure. Right. And then, and, and, and it's interesting because we see historical examples of people that like Leopold and Loeb who say, you know what my pleasure is? I'd like to steal a 14-year-old boy and kill him, which they did. And they, and they said, I did it as a scientific experiment. I just wanted to know what it was like to kill somebody. Right. Or if I want to use my power... I'm going to use it to oppress women and and others. I'm going to use it in this in the Harvey Weinstein case. I'm going to use it to try to you know to get, try to get as much sexual pleasure as I can. What's I what's interesting about it though is that the very people who are espousing a secular humanism are the same people who are decrying Harvey Weinstein. 
Now, that's, I think that's your point here, is that, that that's hypocritical. Mm-hmm. You can't, on the one hand, say, be a relativist, right, and, re, and, and appeal to, <laughs> to, to secular humanism, and on the other hand, say that Harvey Weinstein's actions are immoral. You have to have, and this is Nietzsche, you have to have a God to ground that. You have to have an authority. You have to have somebody who stands outside of all of these things, who doesn't change, who ends up saying, no, this is wrong. And, and, and I would even go further. On the one hand, you're absolutely right. You need that as a foundation to even have such things as values. But then on the other hand, we need to be able to have a way of accounting for a human being as a moral agent mm-hmm. as well. I mean, on a purely naturalistic worldview, uh, you slip into just straight physicalism uh, where you have to ask the question, uh, you know, on what grounds then on that worldview are you even moral? And so that's why uh, these these topics are so important. I found this was interesting. With the Leopold and Loeb case, this was referred to as the crime of the century. And the reason that they they called it the crime of the century is because their defense lawyer, uh, 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 Darrow, Clarence Darrow, uh, he just argued, hey – this is what they're being taught at the university. Totally. You know? That's right. We're, what do you expect them to do? You, do? you teach them, them a worldview. They go out and do it. Yeah. And now you're going to hold them accountable so, for that? So here's the thing, and this is me connecting dots that listeners might uh, not want to connect. Uh, so so in the United States over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, there has been a slew of, of school shootings mm. that are uh, tragic and evil and all the things that we would say about them. Here's what's interesting to me and the thing that's been puzzling me about this. For years, so the, people say the solution is is gun control. Now, I please believe me, I, I actually think there's probably some truth in that. But um, guns have been available in the United States for centuries, okay? It was the Second Amendment. So you can, get, you can buy a gun for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. And school shootings did not happen. So the question isn't, oh, it, it isn't really about the guns, even though, of course, we should limit the, you know, how people can use those guns. And gun control would be a great idea in many cases. Mm-hmm. The question is deeper than that. What is happening in American culture so that young men, and it is young men, what is happening to young boys who, who, feel slighted in some way that they think now that they should go into a school, shoot everybody up and either kill themselves at the end or just go to jail because they don't have the courage in the end, I mean, to, to, to off themselves. So mm-hmm. Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, who kind of started this modern thing in, in Columbine High School in 1999, they went in, shot everybody up, dressed in like Matrix outfit outfits and then killed themselves in the end. The people who knew them ahead of time knew that they were steeped in, in this kind of thinking, that nothing really matters, that there is, that there is no God, there's no... So my, here's my point. What I'm frustrated with is that, the, is that in the U.S. anyway, there seems to be this desire to... Everyone recognizes this is evil. It's wicked. Our children shouldn't be able to go to school and die. Right, because some one of their friends or their, their their classmates decides he's going to bring a gun that day and start shooting everybody up, but we don't seem to want to address the worldview that's leading some of these young men to think that not just that this is okay, but there's there's no moral like the, the, what goes through your mind that says oh oh the the best thing for me to do after I shoot up my school is to shoot myself. 
That way I'll that way I'll get out of of any kind of judgment. Well, the the answer is that's an atheistic world that you have. Mm -hmm. And where did they learn that? The ideas have consequences in the end. And we're so shocked to somebody is actually believe these. We don't play these games in college classrooms only. Mm-hmm. We don't just do it. I mean, uh, my point is that 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 Nietzsche saw that and recognized, and he was okay with that. Yeah. But he, I don't think, he, I think he was like, you know, the rest of you guys don't really see this yet, and you will, you will see it. But we still are at a place in the West where we are not willing to face up to what we've done, and that by killing God, obviously we didn't kill him, but by killing God in our thinking, it has we have reaped the whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And as a result, this is one of the reasons I'm thankful for what you're doing at the Human Project, because you're trying to basically say, say, go back to the start and say, actually, here's the solution. We need to return to the way that God views people and the way the Bible talks about people. Absolutely. And this is this is one of the, the reasons why it's important as you bring up this event that that started in 1999. We've got to look at our history if we're going to understand, you know, how did we get here? And we can look throughout our history and see... Uh, uh, you know, a history of brokenness, a history of dehumanizing one another. And when we do that, uh, we become capable of horrendous acts such as mass murder uh, and things as such as slavery. Now, this might surprise some people, but if I could get in a time machine and I could go back and let me just let's just say Hitler, for example, if I could talk to Hitler or if I could talk with Pol Pot or if I could talk with King Leopold II, I mean, you, you name the, the, the dictator that did horrible things. Uh, and I could ask them, don't you think it's wrong to kill people? Their answer would most likely be, well, of course it's wrong to kill people. But then through a distorted perspective, they would explain to you that, that the Jews, that the Congolese, the, the Cambodian, you know, unknown, uh, uh, the com- Cambodian educated, well, they're not actually people. people. Mm-hmm. Right. The same thing with slavery. If you could go back in time, they would say absolutely slavery is yeah. wrong. But those aren't people. No. And, and you, you always say that people don't kill people. People kill monsters and monsters. So my study, people. my studies uh, when I was in in uh, university uh, veered into a lot of World War Two history. Mm. And um, one of the things that I got really interested in, I remember writing several papers about it was uh, I was taking a debate class at the same time I was taking some World War II history classes. And, and I, one of my, I, I did a research paper on the images that were used by the Nazis of, of Jews. And the rat, the, the, the rat is the image that they vermin. Even the language that's used, if you read Mein Kampf, which I do not recommend you to read Mein Kampf. But if you read it, the, what, the language that's used is as a virus... Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're a parasite. They are, they are a vermin. They're rats. They are this. And even the, the images that are used in, in the propaganda it's, are, the, are that way. So if I can dehumanize you, mm-hmm. I can treat you in, in a, in a particular way. And it's one of the reasons why the Nazis filmed what they did. I know a lot of people are like, why would you film that? Well, because they thought they saw themselves doing the world a favor. Yeah, totally. These aren't real people. These aren't people. Yeah. So, Andy, I'm going to apply this one. I mean, what some people are listening are thinking to themselves, I, I think, well, I would be if I were in certain stages of my life. Um, this is all well and good. It has to do with philosophy and world politics. And that's whatever. Um, I want to suggest that actually we see dehumanizing actions 
in front of us. So here, and we participate I'll, I'll, in. That. I absolutely, absolutely. And me as guilty as anyone else. I'll give you one place. Mm. I watch a lot of basketball these days, and uh, I've noticed there to be an approach to basketball now. That is, it's not it's not actually enough for me to beat you as a as a player. I have to shame you. I I have to make you. Uh, there are words there. <laughs> I, I have to make you into something that that is beneath me, that I own, that I, we use that language even, I yeah. owned you. Um, yeah. And then I taunt you. It's not, okay, so if I, if I beat you off the dribble and I hit a jump shot, it's not, it's not that I just, honestly, I just, I made a good basketball play and I shot the ball and my skill was able to put it in the basket. It's, it's, I destroyed you and I have to now talk to you about it. And I have to speak to you in ways to make it sound like you are owned by me. Some of the language I sit on the court side from time to time, some of the stuff that these, these guys say to each other and yeah. are quite honestly dehumanizing. And that's high school. That's and, yes. and middle school. But, and- but then we make YouTube videos about it and we glory in that. So you broke his ankle. So it's, so even it's a bigger deal now that if I break your ankles in basketball than if I actually score the points. Who cares if you score the points? You 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 showed that guy as being completely beneath you as a person. When we were filming the Human Project in Korea, we we were in a taxi and this taxi cab did not know the driver didn't know what we were up to, but he was talking to Steve in Korean and he said uh, to Steve, he goes, you know, the Korean people are lo- losing their human kindness. That's a, that's a word in, in Korean. And Steve said, well, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And Steve's and the taxi driver said, we've been taught to view each other as competition. Mm. And it's interesting that that goes with us even off the court. It, mm-hmm. it, ha- it happens in business. Mm. You know, it happens all around us where, where you're now just competition to me. And exactly right. I, and and I, I no longer see you as a human being. I see you as competition that I need to destroy well, and, and, to and so, have victory over. And because yeah. that victory is going to give your life meaning. Yeah. And, yeah. In some way, I'm going to try to find value in devaluing you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's just if there's a certain number of people in the game, either you can either win by scoring more or by making your opponent lose more, right? So if I can, if I can show that you're not up to my standard, uh, v- you know, verbally or otherwise, this is why we d- demean each other, right? Yeah. And this is why when we get really good and mad at each other, we start y- using. This is what racism comes from, largely, is that if I can show that your race is less, you know, racial comments coming from people. On, on sports fields and others they get done for and people say, oh, you're, you're a racist at heart. I probably, yeah, probably. But, but a lot of times the racist comment is coming because the person felt like they were being, person felt like they were losing or something was happening that was making them feel demeaned. And so they looked at something in the character or the person of the other person and they want to point that out that makes you less, Andy. You know, you're bald. Jeff, you're fat. You're <laughs> like, like it just, we end up picking, this is my point though. Mm. Is this dehumanizing? happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's the way our minds think. And it, there needs to be a radical realtoring around, around what we think is human and what people, uh, you know, inherently are worth. And that's what I call the human project in that we are the human project and we need to constantly correct our dehumanizing perspectives of people. Mm. Yeah. That's a nice way to close that off, Andy. I know you have to go. I do. But uh, I want to ask one last question to you, Jeff. Yes. Sorry, guys. I got to take Why a in the world... 
did we go back to like we we did Sodom and Gomorrah before we did the other story. Oh, what what happened you, there? Out of nowhere. I'm a little bit upset. I'm a little bit... Uh, so you know. it was a last minute change is the answer to the question. Oh, okay. Yeah, we looked at the schedule and we realized that uh, we were skipping over some important parts of the Abraham story and it was just an oversight on our part when we did the planning for it. Uh, and if I had to do it over again, I, I would have actually done uh, it in the order of, of uh, what we did last week. Uh, with Sarah laughing, and then I would have followed that with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, oh, I would have started with the story of Abraham talking God kind of oh, yeah, down yeah, yeah. from judging Great. Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we would have done the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and and then we would have done what we're doing this next week, and then we would have done Genesis twenty-two. So I, right. it's uh, we. I inadvertently chose some passages and left others out that were not. Uh, yeah, this is totally my fault. Like I said, if I had to do it over again, I would have. We've done most of the texts that we wanted to do, except for one, or mm-hmm. will will have done the ones we wanted to do, except for one. So that one's a little bit of a backstory, then, kind of like a prequel. Yeah. So in the end, that was sort of the way we wanted to sell it, and I didn't make mention of it because it was like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, but those yeah. those guests, the two visitors who leave, yeah, the same guys the, who, are the same guys who go to Sodom. You go to Sodom, yeah. Great. And actually, what's interesting about those stories is if you look at the hospitality that was shown to Abraham, mm-hmm. or sorry, sorry, shown by Abraham to these guys compared to Lot, compared to the hospitality Lot shows. Or the hospitality that the that the the men of Sodom show, you're supposed to look at it and think, "Holy smokes, uh, Sodom is a really bad place." Yeah, lots kind of a mess. Yeah, and that the whole thing is a mess. And so it, it, it you know, the passage that we studied this last week serves kind of as a foil. Uh, it highlights, in other words, the sin of Sodom and in, the, in their inhospitality and the way that they wanted to treat these men. Whereas Abraham, when he received them, did what he was what, what was ex- not only expected but was righteous, yeah. and that was by by giving significant, you know, giving himself to them and making sure that they had the best of everything. And yeah, so they, it's it's interesting if you read it together. Yeah, this next week we're going to be covering a bit of uh, a larger section. Uh, we were planning just on doing uh, the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 21, the fulfillment of the promise to the child. But we're also going to include Genesis 20 in that, which is this story that sounds like it. It sounds like you already read it because Abraham goes and he tries to he tells, talks about his wife as his sister again. <laughs> And she gets taken by the by the king of the land. So didn't learn his lesson the well, first time. Well, it's an interesting story because, yeah, in the end, it shows that this guy keeps making the same errors, and yet ultimately God fulfills the promise to him nevertheless, which is, of course, a great picture of, of what we deserve and the grace God shows in continuing to strive with us. Well, and how we, how we operate, because we will make the same. Oh, over and over, over, and over again, and yet the Lord continues to strive with us. So it'd be a good weekend, I think. You'd be encouraged if you come along to hear about the grace of God. Good. Well, you answered that question. I did. Thanks, Jeff. That, that, that one, I just, I hit that one to deep right field. You know what I mean? That one went in the stands. That, you know what? Um, most guys could turn that out of triple, but you, Jeff, probably maybe a double. No. Maybe a double. No, that ball's over the fence. No, it hit the fence, it dropped, and you got to second base. And where you were stranded, baseball season's coming, isn't it? It is. Excited about the baseball season. Oh, man. It's Another be... year of watching the Mariners lose poorly. So, that's good. Well, amen to that. Jeff, great to have you back Thanks, on buddy. the program. 
We're just so thankful that uh, you would join us today and that, you know, you didn't just ditch us again like usual. So, yep, we'll try uh, to make a habit of it. Thanks, yeah. Daniel. Wait, a habit of which one? Being here. Yeah, something. One of them. Yeah. Awesome. Will you be here next week? I think so, yeah. Can you, can you guarantee okay, this it? This is dying can now. Can you guarantee it, Jeff? Can you guarantee it? I hope the music's been playing. <laughs>